Welcome back to Book Talks Podcast. This is Kayla and Marissa's not with me right now because I'm filming this before we record. This episode will be an interview with Jervil McTiernan and we'll be discussing her new book, The Murder Rule. Enjoy. Uh, so do you live in Australia now? Yes, for 11 years. Um, we moved over in 2011. Uh, my little boy was born five weeks after we arrived, so I can always tell exactly how long we've been here based on his birthday. <laughs> what made yeah. you guys move there? Oh man, it was the GFC. Well, what we in Australia we call it the GFC. I don't know if it's if it's referred to that in the US, the global financial crisis. So, I had a small legal practice in the west of Ireland, and um, I started it when I was 26, which was stupid. <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time, and it was really successful until it wasn't. And when the GFC hit, it hit Ireland like really hard I don't think people necessarily understand the impact of how just how bad it was but I mean like in every family somebody lost their job if you kept your job you took a 30% pay cut house prices halved or less and you know taxes went up it was just brutally hard and and my clients were hit really badly and you know a lot of them lost everything including family homes so it was kind of rough going for a few years. It was really stressful. And by the end of it, I just said, look, I just never, ever want to practice law again, ever, ever. And, you know, financially, things are really rough for me and for my husband. So we said, look, we need a fresh start. And we we're looking at either Canada or Australia. Both were offering visas for civil engineers, which is what my partner does. But um, Australia offered longer visas. Canada was like 12 months and you're out. And I was like, well, I'm not moving with a two year old for 12 months. So we came here. Um, so that was it, really. It was just it was mo- mostly kind of financial and a bit of a sort of a mental health thing. We just needed to do something different, completely different. Oh, I'm sure it's much warmer in Australia. I feel like. Yeah. Canada. <laughs> yes. yes. I never, the day we left Shannon Airport, I honestly think it had been reading, raining for 11 weeks solidly, like solidly. I was working part time and little helping somebody out with something just before I left. I remember my colleague, she had a two year old little girl. She collected her two-year-old from the crash one day, and the two-year-old looked up and saw the sun for the first time as the clouds parted and said, look, mummy, a balloon. <laughs> that would give you an idea for golden weather. So, uh, yeah, it's very, very different in Western Australia. <laughs> so the complete opposite of Phoenix, where we never have rain, and my dog freaks out anytime there's like a rain cloud. Like, what? what is that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's pretty much like Perth we do get rain like we get the odd dramatic thunderstorm but for summer it's just blue skies and nothing you know so I realize we actually never did an intro but we'll just um editing problems for you guys here sorry sorry <laughs> no no that's our fault too I, I always get sidetracked thank you so much for coming uh we are so honored so we kind of were we want to get we want to get new authors on our podcast who've done like the most um up and coming thriller books of the year and your book was on the list so we reached out to your publisher she responded so quickly and we saw this interview and we're so excited and we i just finished your book last night um kind of to read it really close so i have my most like emotional like i'm very passionate about it when i read it really close so I just finished last night. Marissa probably finished a little bit earlier than I did, and we loved it. Really? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God, that's so good to hear. So, and I'm actually not the thriller queen. Yeah. Marissa's our thriller queen, and I really enjoyed it. Like, I'm usually romance only. It's kind of why we, like, kind of work together well. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. But I got you. I got you, Kayla. 
You got me in. <laughs> and I stayed up till like 1 a.m. finishing it. I had my alarm set for 6 a.m. and I kept being like, I'm going to log off or I'm going to stop reading. I'm going to go to bed. And then I was in the last hundred pages and I was like, I just have to finish it. <laughs> I can't go to bed till I know what happens. <laughs> You have completely made my week. That's exactly what I would love to happen with every reader. That's amazing. <laughs> so you said, prior you were uh, you were a lawyer, but what made you switch to writing? Or was that something you always kind of wished you were doing? I always want, like, I always loved books. Like, when I say just loved, I mean, over-the-top reading. When I was a kid growing up, there weren't that many books around. I would read the back of the cornflakes box, like, avidly, you know, because it's like text, <laughs> anything to get stories in my head. So I grew up reading, reading, reading. I didn't ever really seriously consider becoming a writer because I just thought that was for other people. You know, it was like, to me, writers were just magicians and something happened when they wrote and they created these worlds and I could never do that. And I did make a few little attempts, but they were so dreadful that they just convinced me even more. You know, you you have, you don't got it, you know. So then um, I was a lawyer for a long time and then we moved to Western Australia and I didn't ever want to practice law again. So I eventually, after my little boy was born and he got a little bit older, I went back to work and I was working part time for the Mental Health Commission here in Western Australia, which was a job I really loved. But I was still doing a lot of really legal type work. I couldn't quite get out of it because that was my background. I was writing contracts and stuff. Didn't want to do it anymore. So I was looking for ways out. And I thought, maybe I'll do a part-time MBA or something. You know, that'll give me other options. And then I was like, why am I going to give five years of my life to a part-time MBA when I couldn't think of literally anything worse to spend time on? What am I thinking? So I just said, okay, I've always, always wanted to write. If I'm willing to give five years to a part-time MBA, surely I should be able to give the same commitment to something that I actually passionately care about. So I started writing, and that was 2014. I was still working during the day. My kids were very small at the time. And I just said, right, I'm going to write every single night except Thursday, which was wine night. And you don't mess with wine night. And other than that, I just wrote. And I signed my first contract with HarperCollins uh, October 2016. Very lucky. That's, uh, that's our dream. That's both of our dreams. <laughs> Are you guys writing? No way. Uh, when, we, when we're not working 80-hour work weeks, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not easy. Have you been writing long? Marissa, more than I, I feel like I recently wanted to get more into writing and become more passionate about it. Um, Marissa is the one who's like, I send her my email all the time to like, can you please help me? <laughs> <laughs> so lucky you have a proper real writing buddy. I never had that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, but law is a lot of writing, right? Like you wrote mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of, um, my dad's a lawyer. I know he just basically sits in there and writes briefs all day and, I've always been like, maybe I should become a lawyer because it would refine my writing skills, which is what I ultimately want to do. <laughs> but I don't know if I can, uh, I don't know if I could pass the LSAT, which, which is what you have I to take here in the so U.S. could, but I don't know. I, I, I like, I wonder, of course, your dad would be a different kind of lawyer too. I was a commercial lawyer, so I was writing contracts that very different and, and less creative even than brief writing, you know? I don't know how much it helps. I think the, the one thing it does help with, um, when you're writing really, really long, complex contracts or you're negotiating them and you have to remember the whole map of the contract, I mean, you guys would know this stuff backwards because understanding 
you'd have to understand tax law to be a tax accountant. So nothing is more difficult to read than tax law. I mean, Jesus, it's absolutely impenetrable stuff. <laughs> but when you're writing a complex contract, you're, you have to remember if I if I adjust clause 2A3 part B, that's going to impact 14C and also 133D and appendix A, B. And, you know, you have to keep that map. So if you shift this, these things shift. And then that means this. And I think it trains your memory a certain way. And so I do think that's helpful for plotting crime novels because sometimes the plotting is very complicated and also tracing the development of a character over time, you know. So that is the only thing I think my background in law has helped me with. I'm sorry to disappoint Marissa. (laughs) Too bad. You talk about your writing process. So, yeah, what is your writing process? Do you start at the beginning and just write all the way through, or do you hop around? Especially this one you wrote in kind of in two different timelines where you yeah. follow two different characters. Um, did you write one first? Kind of. I, I Like, I wrote – so usually I have a general outline, and I write about 30,000 words, and then I stop and kind of reassess. I think it, t- it takes the 30,000 words to find the story and the voices of the characters – Mostly I usually scrap that 30,000 and start again. Like I, I would write, at that point I write a detailed outline, go back to the beginning, start again and work my way through. But this book was a bit different because as you say, it was two different um, voices and two different timelines. So I kind of wrote it the same way, but after a while I was sort of abandoning one timeline and just following one all the way through. So I mostly worked on the Hannah timeline and then I went back and worked on the lower one. But actually the lower one ended up taking five times as much work because I, it was so hard to find that voice in that diary. Um, and to, and I was desperately worried that it would end up being one of those books where, you know, you've got two voices and only one of them is interesting. And you're just like getting through the pages fast. And you can get back to the interesting bit. You don't read all this boring stuff. I really, really, really did not want that to happen. And in the early drafts, the Hannah story was felt to me anyway like it was powering along. And the Laura story was sort of meandering and things weren't really happening. And then even when I put in lots of action, it just felt like lots of action stuffed into it was just very thin. So it took a lot of drafts to find that and to to really just refine it to the point where I felt like it was doing everything I needed it to do. So it was tricky. I we usually don't love that, but we I really didn't like I liked both sides of the story. Like I wanted more of Laura's because it's like kind of like the whole mystery behind it. I enjoyed both of them. So I was gonna echo that. One of the things we talk about a lot in our podcast is. We don't love when authors shift the voice to a different timeline or a different character because we're in the groove of like reading about this one character and then it like halts the progress we've made. And like you said, sometimes you're like, Oh, I don't really want to read about this other character. Like when yeah. do I get back to the good part? I did not feel that way about this book at all. The murder rule. I absolutely loved it. I never once was like, Oh, I need to get back to Hannah's story. Um. I. I feel like Laura really fueled kind of, you know, Hannah's motivation. And I was like, just trying to figure out, like, I kind of had a sense of where it was going. Didn't ultimately have a sense of where it was going. (laughs) But in my mind, I thought I had a sense of where it was going. But it was like, you know, you were getting the clues with the background. So I kudos to you. You didn't lose my interest. And that is something that sometimes happens to me. (laughs) Oh, look, I totally hear it because it is, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine too. And I rarely like both voices the same. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if you had a leaning one way or the other, but <laughs> as long as I can keep your attention, you know, and that you actually care about both and one doesn't just feel like a bit of a kind of a foil for the rest of it, 
then it's it's working for me. And I really wanted like without giving away any spoilers, like those Laura diary entries had to work on a few different levels. So I needed that to make sense so that when you got back to the end you didn't go, huh? <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> well, you had another you wrote another series before this. Is that written in a similar like just one point of view or multiple point of views? Pretty much well, now I'm going can I remember? <laughs> it's, it, <laughs> this is a terrible thing that happens to writers, you see. After 54 drafts, we never want to see it again. So you just never reread your own books. And then people ask you very specific questions about characters. You're like, oh, my God, I can't even remember that character's name, which feels like blasphemy, but it's true. Um, I Those books are mostly from one point of view. Like there's, there's one dominant point of view, which is Cormac Riley's point of view. He's my, he's my detective character. And they're set in Ireland and they're, um, you know, I did never, I never intended to write a series. The first book was a story I wanted to tell. It sort of became a series. It's kind of a three book arc. Um, but there are other voices there as well. But those were sort of, they were very different books. They unfold at a gentler pace than The Murder Rule does. And that was deliberate my point. Like I wanted to write something different and faster paced with The Murder Rule. Um, so the other ones, are, they're a little bit gentler in there, not particularly slow, but a bit gentler. So, the, so therefore, there was more room for the voices to unfold, if that kind of makes sense. So on Goodreads, I went out and I saw Marissa finished the book, and then she immediately added all three books to the want to read list. <laughs> really? <laughs> Big fan of thrillers over here. I, um, I, I basically just gone through almost all of Karen Slaughter books. Um, I don't, have you read anything by her? Oh my god, yes. I have loads of her books literally above my head. I think she's amazing. Oh, and I amazing. got to interview her that uh, just last year. And then we talked again recently for her pieces of pieces of. Oh my god, I'm blanking. Is it pieces of me or pieces of you? Pieces, pieces of, me. of her. Pieces of her. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> when the show came out on Netflix. We got to yes. He's so smart. That woman. Oh. Too. Amazing. So, uh, just, just so you're aware, like, I have good taste in thriller books, and I <laughs> did really like this, and I added all your books to my, um, to be read on Goodreads. Oh, so, thank you. Um, thank you so much. I think you really stressed Kayla out, though, because she texted me after a certain event in the book relating to Sean, and I could just tell that maybe she wasn't doing so well without, you know, without the romance aspect and, you know, the thriller aspect. I hear you, Kayla. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> first thriller of the year. So I <laughs> had to switch gears completely. Well, you would have preferred the other books because at least there's some degree of romance in the earlier books. And there's nothing. There is nothing in this one. I think I'll need to pick it up, especially going to Ireland in July. It might, it'll, it'll get me in the mood for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm actually going to be in Ireland myself in July. First two weeks. Yeah, because we're going home to see family for during school holidays. I'm going the last week. <laughs> my friends are all teachers, so, like, the one week we could all go before tax season starts again. But I'm really excited. I've only been to Europe once last summer in Italy, so I'm excited for this opportunity. But, uh, yeah, I'm thinking of books that get me in the mood. There's not a lot of books that take place in Ireland, actually. Well, the first three books I wrote are all set in Galway. So if you read even the, fir- the first one, will give you a good flavor. Okay, I'm excited. I'm I'm to list two on Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> And is that one, I read on Wikipedia that I think someone had acquired the film or TV rights to that. Wow. Features optioned it right back at the beginning, The Ruin, the very first book. Um, 
And then a little bit of time went by. It was kind of quiet, you know, the way these things tend to be. And I was in Sydney um, for some book stuff and I was in a taxi with my publicist and my, this sounds very swishy, but anyway, my agent rang me and she, she kind of mm-hmm. said, no, you can't tell anybody about this, but blah, 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 don't tell anybody. And I was like, sorry, what, what am I not telling people? Colin Farrell, don't tell anybody. I was like, what am I not telling people about Colin Farrell? So, um, apparently he has set up a production company with his sister and they, um, came on board as partners with Hopscotch to produce The Ruin as their first thing. And Lee Magaday, who made The Favourite, which was an awesome movie that I loved, has also come on board. So it's it's moving along. I don't know the details. Wow. I'm not that close to it, but it's pretty exciting. Do you help write with, like, the screen, like, the no. play? Is that what it's called? I wouldn't trust, I wouldn't trust myself with it, to be honest. <laughs> I, have, I have too much respect for screenwriters <laughs> to try my hand at something I know nothing about. Um, I stick with novels, I think, for the time being. <laughs> That is so funny. <laughs> I feel like I would be way too protective of like my baby and I would just want to be all hands on. I kind of just love your your hands off approach. <laughs> you know what it is? It's like I feel like this is my thing. Like I got to do my thing. It's done. It's in covers. It's finished, mm-hmm. you know? And like I got to spend all the time I needed to to do 55 drafts and to work with my editors and it gets to go out in the world now. And I never thought I would get to do that. Like, that's amazing, you know. And now it's finished. And if, if someone finds something in that to take it on and make something, you know, be inspired to make their own thing, I'm excited, but it's their thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to make a movie. I don't know how to make a TV series, but they do. And, and hopefully they're going to make a really good one. And I can't wait to see it. But if it's very different, that's okay, too, you know. Yeah. But this one... <laughs> has been optioned by FX in the US. Okay. And they're working with um, uh, writers at the moment to write the pilot for that. So I'm super excited about that one. Wow. (laughs) I am just like blown away by all the success you have had. (laughs) I just, I guess, you know, I mean, some writers, they try their hand at it and, no luck either they're self-published and they don't have an audience or even if they're traditionally published it doesn't take off and I feel like when I was reading through you have a Wikipedia page and I was reading through it and I was like oh my gosh she has all these awards all these accolades someone bought the like film rights like I'm just I'm I'm amazed and like congratulations on your success because that's so incredible oh thank you Marissa look to be honest with you I know how lucky I am. Like, I really know how lucky I am. I, I remember when my book went out to, um, you know, the very first time I sent out a book to an agent, I was really, really hoping for personalized rejection. You know, like, please let them reject me personally, because that means they have think I have some potential. And it didn't work out that way. I, I got really, really lucky. And, you know, a part of that was having great support from my publishers from the very beginning. Because as you say, you know, you can be traditionally published. It doesn't guarantee any kind of success because so many books come into the market all the time. And I think it's a matter of timing and luck and publisher support um, and all the, everything just kind of coming together. And it was really lucky for me because in Australia, my first book made it into the top 10 and my second book made it into the top five. And my third book was number one in all categories, wow. which was mind blowing, you know. Um, so I've been... I know how lucky I am. And look, every year that I get to actually write full time is another gift. I, I don't assume it's going to go on forever because very few writers 
have like that sort of steady career, you know? If you have any lawyer friends that look at you and be like, she's an author now? Like, (laughs) (laughs) what? Um, I think, you know, I do, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, my friends back in Ireland are kind of a bit like, what happened and when? But in the funny time really was when I was back in the Mental Health Commission. But by the time the offers of publication came in, because what happened was my agent sent it out on Friday and I, you know, I didn't think much would come of it. And she called me the following Tuesday and said, you know, we have an offer a preemptive offer for the book, you know, and obviously a preempt means that they offer a bit more, but they want you to take it off the market then straight away. And I was super excited. Like I wanted to throw a party. I was like done. And my agent said, look, I think you need to turn it down. And I was like, what are you crazy? Um, <laughs> so I rang my husband at work and I was like, we have an offer, but she thinks we should turn it down. Anyway, we did turn it down and we waited. And by a week and a half later, we had six offers of publication. So there was a little auction. But I was at work when these emails were coming in, you know, and it was that moment that you just kind of dream of where you're with your workmates. And it's like, oh, my God, Harper Collins wants to publish the book. Or, oh, my God, Penguin wants it, you know, and it's and they're like, what do they say? What do they say? I think you should go with that one. I think you should. And all this sort of fun stuff. And I, I got to have that really the quintessential sort of dream moment. And it was amazing. I'll never, ever forget what that was like. And, um, yeah, I've forgotten the question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that was about it. So you meet us ever wrote and like our coworkers picked up our book to be like, what were these two doing this whole time? Did <laughs> <laughs> ever have time to write. You guys work way too hard for that. It's just not possible. We're picking off every Friday this summer and I, we're, I'm really hoping like I'm, I'm, I'm riding Marissa's train here. That's amazing. You yes. have to like you have to believe. I remember. Did you ever read Stephen King's book on writing? No, I have not. It's it's very it's an older book now, and I don't know if he'd revisit like if he ever revisited, would he change anything in it? But there's so much really good advice in it, and he talks about writing. You know whether or not you should write, and he says, look, there are many better ways to make money, basically, and do something else if you if you can. Like, mm-hmm. but if you can't, if you need to write because it just fulfills something in you then write anyway, write regardless of circumstances, write regardless of the fact that very few people make it because mm-hmm. it's just as likely to be you as anybody else. And it's that passion, like, sorry to bang on about this, but I really feel very strongly about it because I'm writing, that's my fourth novel and I'm working on my fifth novel. And when you come to these stories later on, what's fueling them is what you care about, and what you're passionate about and what you love. And so if you love writing and you love stories, then that's what you need, really, to keep writing and to get better and better. So it's obvious that you both feel that way. And I think, do it. <laughs> I am trying. I <laughs> When you said you wrote 30,000 words and then sometimes scrap it, I got to say that made me feel a lot better because mm-hmm. I, I have written 20,000 words on three different occasions and I have scrapped every draft of those 20,000 words because something about it just wasn't right. Yeah. And I just thought, like, okay, maybe maybe I'm not meant to write this book, but hearing that you kind of have done that as well, where you've looked at it and maybe reworked some things, it makes me feel oh, a lot better. There's many times. I mean, I scrapped 7,000 words yesterday in the thing I'm working on, just, like, gone because wow. it wasn't working. And And honestly, the fact that you do that and the fact that you can see it is much more encouraging than the opposite because as a writer, you do meet a lot of people who want to write. And I can absolutely tell you that it's the people who are really sure that their first draft is a masterpiece. 
<laughs> pretty sure it isn't, you know. So the fact that you are, have doubts is a good sign. It means you're looking at your work critically, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I told Kayla. I was like, I'm just going to get it. I'm going to try and just get it down on paper. Like, as she said, I'm going to take Fridays off. I'm going to just treat it as a writing work day. I'm going to get it down on paper. And then we're going to reevaluate after it's on paper. Because right now I'm not confident that it's it's good. <laughs> but I'm going to use Kayla to to see if it's good. But, but honestly, guys, and I mean, we all feel that way. And I often say similar conversations with my writer friends where it's like, look, you know, the first draft, like I've got a friend who is a USA um, today best selling author and she calls her first drafts her vomit drafts because she just literally gets it down. And it's she says it's unreadable, but I have to get something on the page so I can work with it then I can make it into something else. Mm-hmm. And like I don't write very messy first drafts but I do occasionally if things are not happening I'm just like well I don't know exactly if this is going to work but I'm just going to keep going I know this dialogue is weak or I know my description is really poor here but I need to get this chapter down so I can see how it all fits together and then I can come back because as my husband delights in saying to me writing is rewriting (laughs) something I said to him a long time ago that he now likes to bang me over the head with whenever I'm having to do the draft (laughs) So you write kind of mystery thrillers. Is that what you like to read as well? Or do you ever read the romantic or the fantasy novel? Oh, I I read fantasy all through my teens and 20s. Like, absolutely adored fantasy. And then at a certain point, I kind of struggled to find fantasy writers I could fall in love with as much. I think I'd maybe, I read pretty widely in the genre. I think I'd kind of exhausted it up here, you know, at a certain point. Now, I'm quite sure there are any number of amazing fantasy writers now that I'm not that familiar with because I just ended up switching over and I didn't consciously say I'm just going to read crime fiction from now on, but I ended up mostly reading crime fiction. I think there's something about the stories and the stakes and the breadth of it that kind of drew me in. And I absolutely love good romance, but I struggled to find it because it's not sold in bookshops very often, which is rubbish, actually. Yeah, I get, I feel you're one of romance writers and romance readers and like, we're the ones buying everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Supporting the whole industry a lot of the time. When I do find a good romance, like I actually write down the name of the the writer, so I'm like, now I know I can I can track down more of these, and I'll read a few more. But I don't, I'm not as hooked into the genre as I am with crime, so I don't know who the good, really good uh, romance uh, writers are. But now you can tell me. I have I have low standards of the romance. I honestly just need something to root for, <laughs> and I'm sold. Uh, <laughs> the limited is where I get a lot of them. Now they sell the romance ones that used to have the shirtless men on it. They have, like, nice covers for them. So okay. no one knows you're reading, like, shirtless <laughs> men novels. <laughs> Those are my go-to recently. I go through phases. I it depends on my mood of the year right now when I'm working a lot I usually pick up romance because it's like so easy to get through but during the summer I'll read more of like fantasy so I can like dedicate myself to a series so I go through moods and then the podcast helps me go into thrillers because they make me so anxious but I also enjoy them so this is what makes me sit down and read it because I don't think I'd read like an anxious book to like relax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally hear you. And I, there's something so lovely about just some really good escapism, you know, that you just can sink into for sure. 
But we, well, I always love reading, but really during quarantine, we really just like, that's where we started this podcast and this like whole channel. And I think it, it changed Beamers' lives and we've gotten so wrapped up in this book community and I love every minute of it. If I can't get into writing, I've been like wanting to get switch either to accounting and publishing. So I'm able to do both, but yeah, it yeah. definitely made us rethink all our career choices up until this point. <laughs> it's funny how that her life can do that, right? I mean, I, oh, yeah. like I never thought I would be living in Western Australia with my kids as a full-time writer. I mean, if you had asked me that 15 years ago, I would have, my mind would have been like, blown I thought I was in Galway for the rest of my life I thought I was going to be a lawyer for the rest of my life and just it's so funny where the world takes you and when I was thinking about whether or not to try to be a writer part of the reason not to do it was just you know the age I was and just thinking well, what's the point you know like that's just I'm too old to be changing direction I've been a lawyer for a long time I've trained with all this stuff I'm good at this job have to be responsible so on and so forth um, and only that I realized I was about to commit myself to five years of part-time study for something I didn't want to do. And I kind of thought, you know what? I've worked really hard. I'm not giving up my day job. I'm still doing my fair share. But if I'm going to work every night for two or three hours, I would like it to be at something I really enjoy. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Who cares? I remember I went to a writer's festival um, just before, the July before I got published. I was down in Margaret River. Hope if you can hear my dog, she's squeaking in her sleep behind me. <laughs> my ears and voices. Um, but I remember I went to a writers' festival and I went by myself. My husband was looking after the kids, and I met a, a writer who's still a very good friend of mine today. And I just remember being so happy. You know, I was writing, I was hanging out with readers and other writers, and it was just this perfect weekend and then my husband came down to meet me on the Saturday and I remember distinctly saying to him I don't care if I am never published it just doesn't matter if I have this I'm just going to be really happy this is what I need like I need to be able to write I need to be able to do book things sometimes and just have that balance and I still think that because honestly being published is amazing don't get me wrong and and everything that came with it I've had some really exciting experiences but the best part is still the writing. Every time the best part's the writing. And no one can stop you from doing that. So that's the real benefit. Does your husband read your drafts? And and is he a big a fan of thrillers as I am? <laughs> no. He's not a huge reader. He's much more of a movie person. But I do ask him to read my early. He actually gives me really good, really useful feedback, but he only ever reads bits of early drafts, so he never then reads the final things. But he usually reads in bed with an iPad, and he does this. You know, he holds the iPad over his face, and I'm kind of keeping an eye out in the corner of my eye. And when it goes like this, <laughs> then I'm nearly falls asleep and nearly whacks himself in the head. I have to go, where, where were you when that happened? What page did I lose you on? <laughs> so that's useful too. But no, he's not, he's not really a huge, um, reader other than my books he doesn't really read much at all so you say you have a really big book tour coming up have you done a tour this large at your other series or is this your first one that's like you're going to m- multiple different countries states yeah it's a big i've never had a tour in the states before i've been over for like voucher con but i've never been on a tour um i did do a tour in ireland as well as i've, I've had a big australian tour before and I've had a smaller tour in Ireland, a little bit in the UK, but I've never done one like this where everything is joined together and it's like, I don't know how many flights in, in a few weeks. And it's in the US, particularly the timetable is nuts because it's like, get on a plane, get off the plane, go to a bookshop, do an event, go to bed, get up, go again. And it's, 
you know, the first day, I think there's like seven different radio things on in one day and then a nighttime event and then a flight in the morning. And it's it's intense, you know. Um, but I think it's again, it's such a, it's, you know, you just keep pinching yourself. You realize how lucky you are that you get to do it. And you might as well just have fun with it. Just enjoy it because it would be over soon enough and you'd be back home and the kids would be saying, Mom, can I have some toast? Real life will, will reinsert itself very fast. <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy book tours are back. I've been, I live in New York City, so I go to book tours whenever I see them. Are you coming to New York City? Yes, I am. I'm going to be interviewing Don Winslow in the Center for Fiction. Oh, awesome. Yeah, um, that's exciting. It's been, yeah, it's been so great that it's been back. I've been trying to go the most I can. So I'm, I'm excited for you. That's incredible. And what other states are you hitting up? So I'm going to be in LA. I'm going to be in Phoenix. I'm going to be in Atlanta with Karen Slaughter. Karen is going to interview me at, um, I think it's Foxtail Books, um, and I'm meeting, um, oh gosh, some amazing writers. So New York, Phoenix, uh, Atlanta, and LA. So That's it's awesome. going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about my dog. I was, I was wondering <laughs> whose dog it was. <laughs> oh, it was mine. <laughs> well, I'm doing very well right now because it's, it's lucky that it's late here because I've got two dogs. There's a golden retriever asleep on the floor and a little cavoodle asleep on a dog bed over there. And oh. usually during the day, the cavoodle sleeps here. And when she gets bored, she pokes me in the back of the head with her paw. So we're lucky that we're not having that experience right now. When you were first in published, were you reaching out to publishers in the U.S. or were you reaching out to the Australia publishers? Or it's kind of like, is it one big network? Well, it, it is and it isn't. So there there are so obviously the big publishers that are out there, but they have, they do have sort of different branches. So Australia would be would acquire separately from um, Harper in the U.S. and Harper in the U.K. So I, originally I was published by Penguin in the U.S. and Hachette in Ireland or in the UK, Little Brown, but now I'm with Harper globally. Um, but I, what I did was I had sent the book, to be honest with you, what happened was I didn't think the book was ready for publication. So I, but I was bored one night. You guys will totally appreciate this. Uh, it was, I did a Twitter pitch competition. You know the way they run those every now and again, where you pitch your book in 140 characters? Mm-hmm. And if an agent likes your tweet, then you're, you know, you're kind of invited to query them. So I did that, but I didn't really pitch anybody else because I felt it was too soon. And this is a very dramatic story, but I'll give you the, the shorter version of it. Um, I had been a bit sick at the time. I'd been having headaches and stuff. My husband had been pushing me to go and have a an MRI, go and see a GP or whatever. And I went to see the GP. GP sent me to have an MRI. And it was a Friday morning, 8 a.m. I had a doctor's appointment to go back in for the results. And I went into the doctor's office and she just said, Dervla, this is in 2016, she said, Dervla, you have a brain tumor and it's really serious and you need brain surgery. And, you know, you I'm surprised you haven't already lost some peripheral vision. And if it, we don't do something about this, you know, it's it's not a good situation. So she wrote down the names of three neurosurgeons on a yellow post-it note and gave it to me and said, now, Call all of those. Whichever doctor will see you first is the one you need to see. So I swear, less than five minutes later, I was sitting back in my car with the little yellow post-it going, oh, OK, I guess I better do this. and I better make the phone calls here rather than from home where the kids are. And as I was Googling their names to get their phone numbers, um, my phone buzzed with an email from that literary agent saying that she'd read the first 50 pages and really liked them. And could I send her the rest of the manuscript? So I went home and... My husband was there. I took him upstairs into our room, closed the door, into our dressing room, closed the door. I said, OK, I've got good news and I've got bad news, which, which you want to hear. And he said, OK, bad news first. And I said, well, there's a brain tumor, but there's a literary agent. I was just 
like in complete denial, you know, about what was going on. So I ended up having three weeks between the diagnosis and the surgery. And I spent those three weeks sending the book out to agents, mostly in the U.S., because most literary agents are in the U.S. There, there are very few agents in Australia. And I really had this attitude that, look, I'm going to be rejected by almost everybody. So I don't want to burn through all the Australian agents in my first attempt, you know. Um, but so I was in hospital for about 11 days. Thankfully, the surgery was successful. And it was about another 10 weeks at home before I could go back to work. because it It's quite a slow recovery. And by about week five, I think it was, the first agent asked, for a video call and I was like oh my god I think this means they're going to offer to represent me so I was talking to my husband and saying look I cannot cannot have the first words out of my mouth be so uh, I just had brain surgery and my next book's going to be amazing <laughs> I didn't think it would engender much confidence so um he helped me and we kind of I sat up on the couch and did my whole I'm so perky thing and then slept for about 36 hours afterwards but the agent offered me representation and then two other agents offered and and then you know what happened after that I told you guys about the book going out and, and everything so you know it was a very odd time and I did end up having an agent in Australia and in the US and in London at that time now I have one agent who's in LA but at the time that was sort of the arrangement in the early days Oh, wow. How do you and the agent in L.A. work? How many hours apart are you guys? Oh, he never sleeps, so it's fine. <laughs> Literally never sleeps. I think he might be a vampire. So he works so hard. It's unbelievable. Um, and he works, his hours are a little unusually works later in the day. So we do have some overlap. Sometimes I'll wake up in the morning at 5.30 or 6.30 and she'll be just going to bed. And I'm like, <laughs> like, how do we do this? And we're like three hours right. apart. <laughs> wow. I just can't believe you've had a successful law career. You've overcome a tumor and now you're having a successful writing career. Married kids. I, I mean, <laughs> Kayla, what are we doing with our lives? <laughs> Guys, it all happened to me, not because of me. You know, it's just, it's a weird, and I'm older than you guys. You've got plenty of time for drama in your lives. <laughs> uh, this is how you're going to write. We're going to set goals. Now that our podcast is kind of picking up, our first couple of seasons was, um, we didn't really have a set schedule, so we're kind of getting more of a structure there. So things are moving, and now I think we have the time to commit to writing more. But you inspire us just talking to you. Like, we were already inspired because we liked your book a lot, but just talking to you, you, yeah, you blow me away as well. Oh, gosh, thank you. Well, I hope, thank you very much for taking the time to read the books. You guys are amazing. You're so okay. organized. I'm so glad you liked it. And it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to both of you. So I am looking forward to reading your books in due course. <laughs> so, um, tell everyone where they can find you on social media. Um, do you have, uh, I know you have an Instagram, but, um, yeah. So it's the same everywhere. It's just Dervla McTiernan, uh, at Dervla McTiernan, D-E-R-V-L-A McTiernan, M-C-T-I-E-R-N-A-N. And if you are interested in writing or bad jokes, um, I do send out a quarterly email that you could sign up for on my website. Awesome. <laughs> and your book, it comes out May... May 10th. Okay, May 10th. 
I know. I knew it was in May. Um, we'll be releasing this episode a week before your book release. So cool. Uh, awesome. A little teaser, but we gave nothing away. We pretty much just talked about you and your. No, we were very good actually. We haven't given too much away at all. I know. I'm sh- I'm shocked. Normally, Kayla and I just spoil everything. <laughs> I, I am now literally going. Did we even describe the book? I'm like, did we actually end up talking about the book? We talked about. Specifics. <laughs> we really, we didn't touch on the book. If you have time and want to, we can spend a few minutes going. I give you my, it. I give you my thirty second pitch. How about that? Okay. <laughs> this is okay. My, this is my thirty second summary, which is this. Um, so the murder rule tells the story of Hannah Rokeby. Hannah is this young, idealistic law student, and she joins the Innocence Project on the eve of their biggest case. They're trying to save an innocent man from death row, but. And so on the surface, Hannah appears to be exactly what you'd expect her to be, you know, really bright eyed, kind of keen to change the world, really idealistic. But if you scrape beneath the surface, that's not really who Hannah is at all. She's quite a bit darker and she's more complicated and she has a few secrets of her own. <gasps> it's, a, it's a good synopsis. People are hard without spoilers, so you have to kind of be... <laughs> Tiptoe around it. <laughs> no, I know. Um, people just have to read and, and find out uh, those deep, dark secrets. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, Thank you. Yeah, let us, Thank let us when you're in the U.S. Well, I think I, I know your book tour. So, yeah, maybe when you're in the U.S., you can meet up. Yeah, well, um, I would definitely make sure that you guys have the dates. And I would love to see you both. So you're in New York and you're in Phoenix. So there's no excuse. I know. If you guys come, I will have somebody there. So please come along. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, Have a good night. Lovely (laughs) to see you guys. Have a good day. Thanks so much for your time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This is Kayla. And Marissa. Have a good night. And make sure to follow us at Book Talks Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Bye.